Thank you for joining us on Walking Between Worlds, a podcast produced by Culturebound. Our goal is to create conversation about elements of culture and to listen to the perspectives of others. Culturebound does not endorse a specific opinion expressed on this show, but values the discussions that take place. To learn more about Culturebound, visit culturebound.org or follow at culturebound.org on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Walking Between Worlds. We are going to be continuing our conversation about entertainment today. Last week we talked about the purpose that entertainment serves. We talked about the relaxation element of it, the critical element of it, um, the the quality that entertainment has where you can insert yourself into a storyline and um, live out essentially a fantasy and enjoy it. We started talking about some themes that come up in entertainment media that say something about where the culture is at or where it's going, and we'll continue to talk through some of that today. We'll also go through some things that have stood the test of time, some things that maybe came about a really long time ago and we still find them entertaining today. They've made that much of an impact in our culture, in our society. Um, And then we'll talk about some of the statements that entertainment tends to make today as well. So we're really just continuing the conversation that we had last week. It should be pretty seamless today. Um, My name is Kylie Trout. I'm the creative director here at Walking Between Worlds. I have Terry Steele. Hey, I'm here. I'm the resource guy. And I've got Jacob Huey as well in the studio today. Hello, I am the producer for uh, Walking Between Worlds, this podcast you're listening to right now. Uh, I'm also, I guess, the just resident Bible nerd. So anything as it was put a couple episodes, Bible-y, that comes up. <laughs> Biblical, I guess, is the grammatically correct word. No, we're, but going, with Bible-y, Bi- we're going with Bible now. It's better. I like it. It's it, more, it's more it was, friendly. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of our rebranding. <laughs> Bible-y. <laughs> Bible-y. Sounds like a Christian bookstore Great. or something. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Jumping back into entertainment, I want to press on this topic a little bit more because I know we could talk about it for so long is what are some of the themes or tropes that we pick up on in movies, books, um, other things that we enjoy, video games is another one, um, that clue us into where culture is at or where it's going. We've talked a little bit about science fiction. I think there's a lot of themes there. Actually, yeah, I I took an anthropology class last year and it was anthropology through science fiction. Oh, completely. It was so fascinating to me. I will never forget that class. Whenever you talk about a future society, whether it's Mm -hmm. Dune or uh, um, Altered Carbon or any of those. Those were on our reading list. Right, right. Where you could even say 1984 was a futuristic book in its time. Oh, totally. So you talk about um, the mega themes of culture, like uh, dominance of of an authority figure, or um, you talk about evolution leading to partially human, you know, do do a Blade Runner. Right, right, right. And it's the, the cross between the horror of technology out of control Terminator mm-hmm. or the amazing possibilities of the future. Um, and in fact, I, I will probably get razzed for this pretty badly, but I think one of the greatest sci-fi thinkers of the 20th century, not 21st century, actually is Gene Roddenberry with the original Star Trek uh, episodes. If I were to actually show a movie or television show about culture, the gods must be crazy. South oh, African yeah. film would be first. And then 
any episode of Star Trek, the original series, we would be next. We several episodes of the original Star Trek in that class that I took. Total sociology, anthropology. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And dealing with moral issues. The Next Generation had one yep. episode where uh, uh, when uh, adults got over a certain age, it was mandatory that they, uh, that they commit suicide in a very gentle way so that the rest of society had resources and they weren't a drag on society. Wow. And it wrestled with the morality of, um, of care of the old versus care of society. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, they that's asked a huge, really like, huge questions. Real. <laughs> right. And so they were social issues mm-hmm. that, um, that, that they push on that. And sci-fi tends to, not, not fantasy sci-fi, but hard sci-fi yeah. tends to push on that, on those boundaries, whereas science fiction or uh, fantasy science fiction tends to draw out the hero on the mega crisis. Yeah. Sci-fi, cyberpunk, that type of stuff tends to deal with the issues of society. I think that's a good point. We, there was a book that we read in that class. It's called The City We Became mm-hmm. by N.K. Jemisin. And it's about, it's a little rough around the edges, but it's a really, really good book. I ate it up so fast. I think I read the whole thing in a day. In a day. And it's, wow. a, it's a thick book. Um, okay, so I read the whole book in a day, and I wrote a paper on the book that day as well. Wow. Which was like the big culmination of the, I was taking too many credits. <laughs> like, it, it was a mess. But um, that book talks about the personification of a major city. And so when a city essentially wow. comes of age... There's like this, there's like a, a birthing process essentially. And wow. these, this avatar comes to fruition. Basically someone who already exists, but they resonate so much with what the city represents that the city chooses them to fight for it as it is being birthed into a major wow. place of life. Wow. And it's so, so, so interesting. It's very cultural. And New York is so complex that um, essentially what they did was they split it up so for every borough of New York, there's an avatar, a different avatar. And that, avatar. Would be, that would be appropriate. Right, because they're so characteristically different from each other. Yeah, it was completely. a very, very interesting book, but it had to do with how culture has these specific characteristics. And, I mean, it had these big overarching things of, like, colonization and gentrification yep. and all of these things. So, um, yeah, super interesting book. Would definitely recommend to read it if you would like to and if you are over the age of 18 because it has some content that is you know a little rough around the edges a little rough around the edges like i said but it's a it's an incredible book and it's it's that soft in between sci-fi and fantasy but it's talking about what you're saying yeah can i just add a little point here of movies books that type of stuff is there is a lot of artistic content out there that a traditional uh christian might consider objectionable Oh, yeah, um, for sure, and for sure, my, for sure. <laughs> my grandmother-in-law was reading a book at one point, and her son, my uncle-in-law, came in and said, Mom, why are you reading that? And she says, Son, I have a brain. Just because I read it, read it doesn't mean I agree with everything. Mm-hmm. I want to know what people think. And yeah, I would say there is... That's a powerful is, tool. Well, yeah, and I would say there is a real careful line to be careful of. If you know that you struggle with certain elements of being drawn astray or whatever, you know, read with with care and a little editing. Right. Or read um, it with someone else. Right. Um, like there are certain movies that I will not let my wife watch because I know that she will have nightmares for weeks to come. Mm-hmm. And so it's me protecting her. But that doesn't mean that you 
ignore it completely. Often what I'll do is I'll say, hun, close your eyes for the next five minutes and close your ears because the content of the movie or the television show is so quality. She'll be like, I, I needed to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in, instead of ignoring it, if there's valuable content, find a way to guard yourself Mm-hmm. But then, uh, and I would and say, still gain understanding. Yeah, I, I yeah. would say the book Eli is probably one of the best examples of that. Oh yeah, where I I will not spoil it for you, but there are some really there's a lot of violence, mm-hmm. um, and that's key to the entire character development. But the the message behind it, and I just had Mel with the the gore. I just had her not watch. It was such a big deal. It made such an impact on her. She was talking about it with one of our elders' wives, and she said, I want to watch it. And so I gave it to her, and I said, be careful of these scenes. And she came back and said, that was hard to watch, but I'm so glad I did. Yeah. Um, so you do have to be careful, but that doesn't yeah. mean Unsavory ignoring. elements don't make something, you know, so bad that you shouldn't understand it. Unless that's the whole yeah. point of Unless the movie. Unless it's gratuitous, exactly. Right. So we would say just as as... A word of caution. Be careful. Yeah. But that does so. You don't and you don't imbibe everything. But when you're taking on entertainment, there's a chance you will encounter things that are untoward. Like you watch football, you're going to see violence. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So it's those type of things. Yeah, for sure. And not just a fantasized version of uh, violence with football, but like actual. Yeah. Actual violence. Yeah. Aggression. <laughs> Straight up unchecked aggression. Yeah. Yeah. So, did we want to stay with sci-fi, or did we want to... I mean, there's definitely more themes in sci-fi that uh, are interesting. Morality, human yeah. morality, uh, what to do with technology. Um, I am a type 1 diabetic. I am on a, a insulin pump with a continuous glucose monitor. Uh, it's almost like having an artificial pancreas. This was science fiction 30 yeah. years ago when I was diagnosed. This is so far ahead of the curve, and... You know, cell phones based upon tra- uh, uh, um, um, Star Trek uh, yeah. uh, uh, vocoders or whatever they were called. And I mean, it, it's the idea of imagining the yeah. future yes. and then working your way towards it. Innovation. Um, and often those innovations running up against human moral issues. Oh, yeah. You think about like um, genetic editing, things like that. Totally. Like, CRISPR and all that right, stuff. Stuff that really doesn't feel right because maybe it's taboo or right. you feel like you're playing God or whatever. Yep. You run into all these different moral issues. And then, you know, at this point, like CRISPR is a thing. Like, yeah, that's something that is, that happens. Um, I don't know on what scale, but like that's, that's a technology <laughs> a, that we they're have. They're able to you do know? some amazing things yeah, with it. Yeah, right. So there's, a, I love that relationship that we have with science fiction, even if you're not drawn to it naturally as like your favorite mm-hmm. genre or whatever, there's this relationship we have with science fiction where it's it's predicting where we're going and we are reacting to it, yes. but it's all it's our own imagination that we are enacting which onto is, the world. Which is part mm-hmm. of the creative element that God that is in God that yes. was on his thumbprint on us. I don't think God looks down and says, Oh no, they're creative. They're creating things. Yeah. I don't think that's it at all. I think that no. is part of the the reflection of his character. Right. But oftentimes we do it, we ask, can we do it, not should we do it? Mm-hmm. And even, and that's often the, the, um, the struggle within the science fiction world they create. 
Yeah, I was I had a conversation with my boyfriend about this exact topic the other night in the car. <laughs> we were talking. He was like, I just I just kind of miss when things were simpler and we didn't make it so convoluted, like all this technology just kind of gets in our way. And I was like, I think there's a point to that. Like there's a point to that side. And then there's also a point like everything that we create also creates its own new issues. Yes. And so in our creation, we're not we're not becoming God by creating something perfect. Mm-hmm. We're creating something and we still have all the baggage that we originally had. Yes. Even absolutely. though we've made things more efficient to deal with, we still create more problems. Yeah. So yeah. And I'm agreed. sure you can imagine a few. But yes, Jacob. So okay, this is gonna be fun. Yeah. I'm gonna try to do this because your your um uh what you said reminded me of a quote from a movie. Now try okay. to name the movie. We were too busy asking the question of could we that we never asked the question of should we. What movie is that from? And I, it's right on the tip of my tongue, but I can't remember. That's what actually I was quoting mm-hmm. when I said that. Jurassic Park. That's oh! what it is. Jeff Goldblum. I guess yep. Jurassic Park is science fiction, isn't it? Yeah. In a way, yeah. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were... when, you, when you bring chaos theory into a mainstream movie, uh-huh. that makes, I mean, you, you're doing some incredible work that you're dealing with experimental science and philosophy right. in, a, it's <laughs> in cloning, a movie about dinosaurs. Basically. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's pretty, and gr- it's, it really it's more deep than it seems. That's kind of I feel like a theme that's recurring yeah. is like most of the stuff we just consume has these deeper elements to it. And if you look at Michael Crichton's books, he often wrestles with those issues of technology. Did he out write of control. those yep. the Jurassic Park books? Yep. Yeah. Okay. At least the first one. I don't know if he did some of the others, but let me look. Oh, I don't know about the books. I was just I didn't know there were books. <laughs> <laughs> no, old school, new school. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's just. Uh, you said that I was like Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Other elements within sci-fi that uh, other themes. Um, discovery. 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 Um, exploitation. Um, yes. I read a book called "The Word for World Is Forest." Very very interesting book. Um, it was about a hypothetical. It's by Ursula, Ursula K. Le Guin. Okay. Um, it's about a, a fantasy author writing sci-fi. Yes. So it's. It's what the movie Avatar is based off of. Okay. So that one where the, the tall blue people. Yes. Except they're short forest dwellers, essentially. And so they have this society, this way of life. It's basically a commentary on how we go into new cultures, um, assume that they're primitive because they don't think the same way, and we exploit their resources. Right. So that's kind of what it was about. It was an incredible Incredible book. Commentary on the era of exploration right. and exploitation. But it's told from three different perspectives. Wow. So it switches perspectives every chapter, basically. So yep. the first one is this basically army dog that is there to complete the mission that Earth sent him there for. He's chopping down trees, taking, because Earth is like post apocalyptic. Okay. They don't have resources. They're trying to get lumber. So he's chopping down trees, taking down the forest, like getting these resources. They've got like slurs for the native people that live there. It's oh, the wow. whole it's the whole deal of um of, otherness. Yeah, of otherness, exactly. Um, and then you have the perspective of a scientist that is okay. also there. His job is to relate with the natives and get them to move, get them to leave. Okay. Essentially right. is the point. And I'm I that's kinda of, I feel like that's kind of blending um basically how to work with them so that they can both accomplish their goals. Yeah. And then it also tells it from the perspective of one of the natives of what's going on. And you get to see into this world that is totally different than what we're familiar yep. with. Um, it plays on a lot of Native American themes. There's a lot of like um, dream interpretation and wow. like 
under the understanding of reality based mm-hmm. on dreaming and live and waking. So it's, yeah. it's it's a very interesting story. Which is a very Eastern idea, which yes. again, entertainment does a great job. And I mentioned in the previous ep- one of the previous episodes that anytime you mess with reality, like Inception yeah. or the Matrix films, it is um, you you are pushing into other people's version of reality yeah and again i think about the scene uh, in inception where they walk down to the basement of a, a building in india and they're all hooked up to uh ivs and they're asleep and the one looks at the other and says have they come here to escape reality and he says no they've come here to um escape the dream mm-hmm. and which is a very eastern idea of you wake up in in the dream world and it's just as real as the waking world like alice in wonderland Right. Yeah. So I will often ask my students, how many of you, when you talk about these things, how many of you believe that dreams can touch on a form of reality? And you, mm-hmm. you talk to people my age and older, and barely anyone does. But you talk with the current students oh, that are yeah. in university, and you have a huge amount of them that go, oh, totally. And it's totally different than all of the, like, psychoanalytic yes. kind of mumbo jumbo yes. kind of things. It's not like, oh, like you know, collective unconscious and, um, you know, dream interpretation and symbolism no. and stuff. It's, it's very like, this is just another form of reality. Well, and imagine this when you have a, and, and this is where sci-fi and entertainment often touches on culture. Imagine living in a world of absolute science where mm-hmm. what you touch, what science tells you, you can touch, taste, yeah. feel, and smell is reality and suddenly move into a world where what you experience Mm -hmm. is reality. Therefore, even a a computer-generated reality that you're stepping into, like the Matrix, is a form of reality. And the line Mm -hmm. from the Matrix, and I've said it before, if you're talking about what you can see and touch and taste and feel, then reality is simply electronic impulses interpreted by your brain. And that was a line where I came out of the theater just going, no one touched me, no one talked <laughs> yeah. to me, because it was challenging the yeah. foundations of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and with sci-fi, you're allowed to push those boundaries, and your suspended disbelief and the created reality allows you to ask metaphysical questions that yeah. have real-world implications. Yeah, so there's a whole other aspect. I don't mean to drag on, I'm, I'm, I mean, drag on with the sci-fi topic, but it's so... It opens another it avenue. It opens a whole other... So... Um, there's also the aspect of sci-fi where you have these action-based movies that are geared towards men, such as Terminator, RoboCop, The Fly. Um, there's, there's so many more that kind of fall into that category. And the whole trope of it is this hyper-masculine, idealized male figure, mm-hmm. pro- protagonist, who ends up struggling with some stuff, but then ultimately rises above, even though it's, it's all very exaggerated. There are some superhero films that fall within yes, that re- yeah. region. Uh, ironically, The Adventures of the Toxic Avenger, which is a very B-movie, yeah. wrestles with that in a very cheesy way. But it's very obvious. It's the same principle right. of, of that. And that type of movie does not always have a happy ending. Right. A yeah. la The Fly. Right. And um, it's interesting because it it kind of messes with... Well, it doesn't necessarily mess with, but more informs what our ideals of masculinity are. And so I think it kind of puts that in this little mm-hmm. category here where it's like you are supposed to be extremely muscular, extremely fit, all of these things. And if you show emotions, you have to conquer them immediately. Yeah. Like there's no wrestling through it. And so mm-hmm. there's that 
that's just one other way that science fiction specifically or our entertainment informs and plays off of our value system, or especially, the, I mean, in gender. And can actually challenge those, mm-hmm. which sometimes makes people very unhappy. Yeah. But anytime you encounter a different gender value or sex mm-hmm. value in a culture, it's going to be one of those key elements that's going to push the culture very hard. Yeah. And so entertainment allows for dealing with a very messy topic, whatever you whatever your conclusion is, and yeah. we're not drawing conclusions. No, not at all. We're just addressing there's, the topic. There's themes here, yeah. Right, um, because there are idealized masculine themes and mm-hmm. idealized feminine themes. Oh, mm-hmm. as yeah, that's well. a whole other animal. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. the way that female they, characters get. <laughs> well, and they don't mm-hmm. always agree. You know, yeah. we have right now we have the Avengers uh, Endgame where you had that one scene where all the female superheroes show up uh-huh. and they say, we've got this. And then you have the same thing in uh, The Mandalorian where you had another all-female scene mm-hmm. and it had a different, it wasn't, look totally at us, we're a woman. Feel. The other one was, these are all skilled warriors and suddenly as they're running into the battle, you realize they're all women. Mm-hmm. Not they're women, therefore they're empowered, but that... They're skilled warriors, yeah. and the males recognize they have the they have the ability to do something I can't do. Put the best person in front, yeah. And so even there, you're wrestling with two different themes about the same topic, yeah, yeah. And they came out at relatively the same time, within a year or two yeah. of each other, yeah. Um, and I think I don't know. I don't know if we knew how to do that well until recently. Like I feel like everything. There were a couple mm-hmm. years where everything was coming out and it would be, you know, an empowered female character and it was so, like, gratuitous. Like, it just didn't hit the mark. Right. It's like, I don't know this character. Two, a two-dimensional character right. with all this great strength because right. it, was it was a just, woman. It was just uh, signaling, essentially. Right. Like, here's maybe where our values are as a, as a film company. <laughs> or that men were always... Always misogynist. Yeah, and it, it's it's like like caric, uh, um, caricature almost. Yes, and there wasn't any it wasn't, depth to it. It wasn't meaningful in the way right. that it should have right. been. So there's that element of it too. Yeah, and a, a, again, ca- male characters that can be vulnerable, women yeah. characters that can be vulnerable but strong at the same time. Again, the character arc of finding the weakness and then overcoming the weakness. Mm-hmm. When you talk about uh, um, consistent tropes that stick with us classics yeah what are you thinking I don't know those were kind of two different topics in my head so no I because I okay what are the classics in literature Shakespeare Tolkien Lewis um, when, we're, when we're talking about entertainment um, why is why is Shakespeare so popular he's funny funny he also addresses really uncomfortable topics yeah in a very creative way yeah it's all very exaggerated well, very and dramatic. Even, even all these years later, you can relate to people like Othello or Macbeth. Yeah. Or, I mean, we had to read know. Romeo and Juliet right. in high school. I mean, and... who doesn't know the story of Romeo and Juliet and yeah. doesn't have shed a little tear at the end? Yeah. Well, you know? and I, I don't know. If, Especially if when getting, you're a preteen. I mean, yeah. If you're, <laughs> when you're in that age zone and you're reading it, it's totally different than coming at it from an adult perspective. Yeah, completely. Like, you read mm-hmm. it as, you know, as a 14-year-old and you're like, this is so romantic and sad and then you come at it as an adult and you're like this is the most dramatic thing i've ever read like this mm-hmm. is dumb <laughs> you know yeah but it does highlight that i mean i don't know how old shakespeare was when he wrote that but he was older yeah but I he think... was touching on themes that that 
get at people's hearts. That's yeah. the, the yeah. bard, you know, Shakespeare. Yeah. He understood humans. And mm-hmm. that's where you're really good authors understand humans they're informed by different elements yeah uh, shakespeare was a social commentary on the day as well as the people relating to one another lewis and tolkien were were soldiers in world war one and L- lewis especially he really c.s. was lewis. c.s lewis yeah. sorry he was terribly horrified by um the machines of war like the tank and just mm-hmm. chewing people up and so when you read a lot of his stories the enemy is always machine-like yeah. um, and inhuman, um, which, again, goes back to the theme that George Lucas has in Star Wars, which is organic. Mm-hmm. You know, all the rebels had greens and blues, or greens and uh, um, uh, browns, yeah. and the empire, the evil, always had mecha- mechanistic gray, white, and black. Yeah. And so you take those ideas, which I, again, I blame Lewis for bringing those things out with mm. uh, some of his space trilogy. Yeah, you have the organic colors versus the mechanical colors. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Exactly. Or, you know, Tolkien with his orcs and goblins versus his hobbits yeah. and elves. And it's interesting because that's not necessarily where the culture was at in their perspective. No. That was more of a prophetic, like, Yes. this is an issue. Yeah. You know, and maybe, you know, maybe machines of war isn't the best solution to our problems. Yep. So, goodness. Yeah. When we think about the things that stand through time, yep. I always, I mean, I always just go, okay, what books did I read in high school that we've been reading for 20 years? You know, yep. everyone within this age group has absolutely for sure read. You think, um, you know, Animal Farm, 1984, yep. um, Catcher in the Rye. Yep. That was one that um, came to my mind. Um, uh, What's the one with the kids? To kill stuck a mockingbird. The... Yeah, there's the one that the kids get stuck on the island. Oh, um, um, uh, Lord of the Flies. Lord of the yeah. Flies. There it yes. is. Those all tend to say something really important. A lot of those are dystopian. Yeah. When, when you realize 1984 was written in 1948, right around the end yeah. of World War II. Oh, and Slaughterhouse Five. Oh gosh, yeah. One. Yeah. Yeah, and you realize it was a commentary on on government and society mm-hmm. out of control, mm-hmm. you know, total chaos, total destruction. And it was, there was a warning to it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then things like To Kill a Mockingbird talking about the nuances of interracial oh, gosh, yeah. elements that were, that are still present, yep. you know? So, and so those things. Although <sighs> a book like that helps you as a society work yeah. through the implications mm-hmm. and instead of just a critique, they really, I know in conversations I've had about that, it really helps people wrestle with the implications yeah. that we often don't think about because they're so either so distant or so yeah. close. There's to other myopic. things that are so loud. Yeah. Yeah. That we don't actually take the time to think about it in a human way. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. So here's an odd question. What are the classic video games that stand the test of time? Halo. Halo. Ooh, yeah. Halo has, uh, uh, I mean, exploration. Oh, Zelda, yeah. Ocarina My siblings just Zelda. went through all the Halo games. Any yeah. Elder Scrolls game? Probably. I, I said no. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an Oblivion and Skyrim fan. Yeah. Um, I, I literally, when I want to relax, I'll put that game on and just walk through the countryside. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it, Part of it depends on your generation. Agreed. Because, so, the one, like, the thing is, Ocarina changed the whole gaming market. Oh, completely. And so, um, 
that one more has a staple, not necessarily because of it still holds up, but the story does, and the yep. nostalgia is what's carried that. Not only that, but there's plenty of modded versions of the game yep. and speed runs and stuff yep. that made the game popular. There's also Smash Bros. Melee. The competitive scene is still pretty much alive. Any um, Smash Bros. I still Smash know people Bros. who go back to the Wii version still love it. Um, mm. There's a debate on whether Call of Duty has have. They've consistently put something out, whether or not it's held its water. <laughs> well, but there's that's that's a company that's trying to continue to improve on a basic formula. And Ooh. some people would debate whether the formula has been perfected a few ones a few times ago and they've ruined it or if they are still perfecting it. You know what game probably won't die for the next couple of years? Minecraft. No. Oh, oh yeah. No. That's that been going one, strong that for one's a long titan. time. Yeah. That one's oh, going to be a titan for the years to come. Yeah. That, yeah. That, it's not going anywhere. That's yeah, not going anywhere. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's there's a surge recently in Battle Royales, but even that's not Yeah, Fortnite, like games like that have just kind of gone downhill yeah. recently. Yeah. yeah. There was a huge push for that. I'm trying to think of what other games really have stood. I mean, Mario, there's that obvious one. Yeah, that's more like. I can't think of any like deep. I mean, I could if I tried like deep social commentary that Mario gives yeah. us. <laughs> and I'm just going to say this because I'm old school. Um, Half Life 2. Oh, yeah. And Portal. Yes, Portal. Por- Portal is like... Tetris. Tetris, yeah. Tetris, I think, is the the highest selling game still. Yeah, doesn't surprise me at all. Because mm-hmm. it certainly outstripped Pong many years ago. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. I think it's hard to, in the past uh, 30, 40 years, point towards video games as cultural markers because... Yeah. Mm, totally. Because it wasn't until 30 years ago that video games came on the scene outside of an arcade. Yeah. Um, uh, and then even then, it's taken them a while to become the staple that they are. 40 years ago. It was 40? Okay. Yeah, because I remember the original uh, uh, Atari 2600. Yeah. 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 And that was terrible graphics, but we love the storylines in it. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And so I think you, you start, I think Nintendo led the charge largely and i think that's when they cultural they movement, wrote great stories yeah and that's when the cultural movement started to change yep but i think also like there was a degree of there needs to be a degree of caution because for me in terms of video games affecting culture i would probably start around zelda yep i think mario didn't really have like it had a huge cultural impact but in terms of you didn't have a real story there. Yeah, they were think, just static characters I in think, large part. Yeah, and I think that gets more into producing something right. that the the culture wanted and wasn't so much a commentary on culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um so like to get back to the first episode of talking about how every form of entertainment has a goal. I think the goal so for Mario was this platform yes. to entertain yourself with. And yep. in an arcade you can take home. Yep. Zelda changed the game mm-hmm. literally by saying, okay, now this is a game you take home, but it's also a story that you're playing out. Yes. Yep. Um, it's an epic. It's an epic. And so video game culture within itself under the larger context of entertainment is a whole episode. <laughs> yeah. Because you have yeah. to discuss the history of video gaming. Yeah, which is fascinating. Yeah. So today we've talked about... Um, a lot of the different themes we talked a lot about sci-fi because that that is a whole load to unpack mm-hmm. there's so much we cram into sci-fi 
If you're not a sci-fi nerd, I apologize, kind of. <laughs> but if you are one, um, I would also love to hear some of your takes on themes, tropes in sci-fi that clue us into culture. Yep. Um, it's just such an incredible genre. As well as we gave you a few books to look at. We did. Um, we talked about why certain pieces of entertainment media tend to stand the test of time. Mm -hmm. um, what tends to actually take root and um, get used in schools or yeah, becomes part of the curriculum? What do we really value and think holds such a strong message that we go through it year after year after year. So we talked about a lot of that today. I hope it was informative and helpful and maybe entertaining as well. Um, hearing us geek out about some stuff. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Walking Between Worlds. There are several ways to stay up to date with what we're doing through this podcast. You're more than welcome to follow us on social media. We're active on Instagram. Our username is Walking Between Worlds Podcast. So you can go ahead and find us there. We also have a Facebook group that is attached to Culture Bound's Facebook page. If you visit that page, you should see the opportunity to join the Walking Between Worlds group where you can interact directly with us there. You can also join in the conversation by visiting anchor.fm slash walking between worlds. And there's an option on that page to record a minute long message, including your thoughts or questions for us here at the podcast. And you may even hear that clip on a future episode as we respond to it. So again, thank you for listening. We hope to hear from you and we will see you next week.